0: can run the phone interview properly like a discovery call you're halfway home if you can run the in-person interview as if it were a sales meeting you're golden you've done what I'd say 90% of sales reps do not do I've interviewed thousands of people and some of the best candidates will come into my office sit down and say so how's it going and I just sit back and I watch them. They just pursued me for a month, two months, three months trying to get this interview. This is their big chance, and they just sit there.
1: Hi, friends. Welcome to the Sales Enablement Podcast. I'm your host, Andy Paul. That was John P. Davis. John's the author of the book titled How to Get a Sales Job. And that's what we're talking about in this episode, how to get that sales job you've always wanted. In our conversation, John and I get into what makes interviewing for a sales job so unique compared to other types of jobs and why getting a job is a lot like sales itself. And John breaks down what you need to do to help the buyer, which in this case is the hiring manager, make the right decision. We dig into the steps John believes that You need to take as a candidate to capture the attention of the hiring manager and to make yourself stand out and become the preferred candidate. we also dive into how to effectively tell your story in an interview and the pitfalls you want to avoid. So all of this and much, much more. But before we get to John, I want to remind you to subscribe to this podcast wherever you listen to it. And if you subscribe, we'd certainly appreciate it if you could also give us your feedback about how we're doing in the form of a review. So thank you. All right, let's jump into it. John, welcome to the show. Thanks, Andy. Thanks for having me. Happy to be here. Well, it's a pleasure to have you here. You're joining us from where today? Downtown Toronto, Toronto, Ontario, up in the Downtown Great White Downtown Toronto, North. and how's <laughs> is it still White North or is spring sprung? It's it's springtime. It's probably
0: 15 degrees Celsius, which is you know maybe mid 50s. So it's it's summertime for ah. for us Canadians.
1: <laughs> We're out getting the sun. Getting your tan. Be careful, you. You need. You got to be careful getting too much sun. So, yeah. <laughs> all right, we're going to talk about a book you've written titled "How to, How to Get a Sales Job." I'm sort of intrigued by the title because it's pretty direct: how to get a sales job. So, why why this book? What What inspires you to want to write this? Well, there's two things about the book. It's 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 kind
0: of come around organically uh, throughout my career and. I think the main reason was I started off uh, not in sales. Most people my age have been in sales their whole career. I started off in finance. I worked at a couple banks yeah. doing finance, accounting. I did my MBA in finance. My parents told me to go to college for finance and economics and I did a kind of a early stage transition into sales. Uh, I did that when I was about 25 and I have not looked back. So-
1: Why? You're in finance. Why
0: why would you jump into sales? I know, I know. So so when I was in finance, I found that it was it was a good job, right? They they pay you a a nice salary and bonuses, but I got to the point where I was content with the job, but the pay was not really fitting for what I was doing. And I'll give an example. I was making X, I think I was making, call it $50,000 a year, and then we would get annual salaries. One of my early experiences, I went into my boss's office for the bonus announcement and he said, the bank's not doing too well. We're not going to do a bonus this year of 10%. We're going to give you $1,500. I did the math real quick. It was like $30 a week that I earned through that bonus. So then I pursued other ways. How can I get ahead? How can I get a promotion? Oh, well, you need a graduate degree. Okay, let me sign up for that. Oh, well, you need seniority. Okay, I have to just age, I guess, overnight. So there were all these restrictions and hierarchies and rules around the pay at the bank. Right. That was kind of what was happening to me internally. And outside of the bank, I was talking to my friends. And I talked to one of my friends and he said, I just got this huge commission check at work. And I said, well, what do you mean a commission check? He's like, well, they they pay me to sell things. They pay me to get contracts signed. And I said, that's very interesting. So that was my first kind of mm-hmm. taste of, hey, there's more. there's more compensation out there. I just have to look for it. So what type of sales did you jump into? So I jumped right into technology sales, software sales, I started interviewing while I was at, uh, at the bank, I started interviewing at a number of different companies, but I, I literally went on Google and typed in which companies pay the highest commissions. And there were two companies back then, <laughs> straight to the point, two companies back then, Oracle and Cisco were paying the highest commissions in technology sales. So I started interviewing at those companies and I landed a job entry-level sales in Boston, Massachusetts at Oracle. So that's where I, that's where I started off my sales career. And how'd that go? It was great. I mean, it was kind of like the best kept secret. I, I came off of wall street investment banking. I was, uh, jumping into technology sales and all of a sudden I looked around and my performance started to matter. Right? So I started to think, okay, the better I do in this role, the more money they're going to pay me. This is interesting. Now I want to be at work. Now I want to be on the phones. Now I want to sign that deal. Now I want to make more calls. Now I want to have the biggest pipeline because I get paid more. I was I was very driven by money you can say at this stage mm-hmm. as are a lot of people. Um, and that's kind right. of how this, this whole thing came to be. I started to see the results and I started to talk to my friends in finance and accounting and say, hey listen, technology sales is not that bad. It's actually very lucrative. You can make a lot of money doing it and it's all based on how hard you work and how you perform. So that's that's kind of the what happens to me naturally. And then the second thing is, what I've come to realize over the years in sales is, there's two ways to increase, positively affect your earning potential. The first way to increase your earning potential is to sell more, right? You wanna mm-hmm. sell more products, sell more services, Sign bigger clients. That will make you more money. You'll make more commission doing that. The way to sell more is to improve your process, right? So there is a ton of education out there on sales process improvement. Your podcast, sales enablement, there's sales podcasts, sales books, sales webinars, sales conferences, and it's entirely focused on how to improve your process as a salesperson, which is great. Mm -hmm. I, I have all the respect in the world for that. I think that's the number one way to increase your earning potential. The second way to increase your earning potential as a salesperson is to find a better product, find a better territory, find a better manager, Mm -hmm. find a better compensation plan. So myself, all my friends in sales, family, networks, everybody in sales is doing the same thing constantly. And that is changing jobs. If you can sell Technology. You can sell real estate. If you can sell real estate, you can sell insurance. If you can sell insurance, you can sell pharmaceuticals. It all just comes back to selling as a process. Now, the, the big difference that I realized, and this what this is what made me write the book, Andy. Everybody's focused on sales process improvement. Reps everywhere. That's people study it. They go to school. They take professional selling courses. But when it comes time to find a better product, better territory, better comp plan. They go at it alone. Maybe you don't want to tell anyone, right? Sure. Sure. Right. 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 You don't want to raise the red flag. So you just kind of put out feelers, text somebody. Hey, how's, how's Google? Any hirings? You know, you you kind of take a real casual Mm -hmm. approach, but when I looked at it, that's the best time to increase your earnings. Other than improving your sales process is when you change jobs, change teams, change companies. So I started to put it all together. I said, I've changed industries, I've I've come into the entry level, and this is a huge earning opportunity. And that's what
1: motivated me to write this book. So it was to help people make that type of change to improve their earning potential, improve their lives in some dimension.
0: Exactly. It's it's not really a uh, Stephen King. You know, novel type, my my thoughts on sales. It's to help, it's written to help people, to help people get out of their nine to five and into a sales
1: job. Okay. So you say that, and I think we probably agree to some degree on that, is that you said a sales job or interviewing for applying for a sales job, interviewing for a sales job is different than doing it for any other job because The credentials are more subjective. And is that really the case?
0: It's a little bit controversial. I'm not going to lie. Some people disagree with me. But the reason why I say credentials can be subjective in a sales interview, I'll give you a couple examples. The first one is it's very difficult to assess somebody's sales ability based on a credential. And that's kind of Alarming, right? Because people think that these mm-hmm. credentials actually mean things. But the first one we'll start with is education. Right? Would you rather hire an entry-level salesperson from Princeton or Harvard or Yale or Plymouth State University? Um, state school? Ivy League school?
1: Why or why well, you not? Know? Let's, let's, oh, let's answer that question. What, what would you prefer to hire? Well, if it were an accounting role,
0: I would look at. No, the, for sale. Right. Okay. For a sales role, I would not look at the school. To be very open, I would not look at the school. I would look at how that candidate carries themselves throughout the sales process. When you're interviewing, especially out of school and entry level position, you have minimal relevant life and work experience. You know, you may have a summer job, you right. may have an internship. It's really hard to judge years and years and years of results. So you look at the school, you look at kind of their background, but I would judge it more on the process that they follow in applying for that job, how they carry themselves throughout the interview. And a very clear example is, I wrote about this in the book, is we had a manager hire someone from MIT based solely on the fact they went to MIT. Three weeks into the role, they said, "Right, he doesn't want to make phone calls. I said, well, why'd you hire him? And they said, "Well, he went to MIT." And I said, "Yeah, okay. You know, there's a, there's a million things you can do going to MIT. I'm not knocking MIT, but some of the best salespeople I know did not go to Harvard. I don't think that. Oh yeah. It, you
1: know, actually, yeah. At the beginning of my career, I sort of faced the reverse discrimination. So when I was applying for my first job, and I went to Stanford as an undergraduate, is." the manager of this branch sales office for this large computer company that I was interviewing with, he said, I only have ever, ever hired people from state schools. And he said he had never, ever hired anybody from Stanford or a similar school because he thought, yeah, probably like the MIT. Why would they be interested in making calls? Why would they be? And so I I had to go yeah. to great lengths to <laughs> try to try to persuade him that that uh, he should take a chance on me. It's it's you know Andy, I've experienced
0: similar things. I've interviewed before, and they've said, well, "Why do you have your MBA?" And they were almost thrown off by by having a graduate degree in business because most sales mm. don't have that. Um, that was kind of a similar experience. Now, on top of education is the easy one, right? We could talk about this school versus that school. All day long, it's it's not that it doesn't mean anything. If you go to a Ivy League school, it's just that it can be subjective in the interview process. But the next thing that's very controversial is I think performance can be subjective.
1: I well, I agree. Okay. Well, I think this is one of the big. I think this is one of the big issues that confronts us in sales. Not everybody agrees that's such a big issue. I do. I, and I posted about this on LinkedIn a, couple, a few weeks ago, and and yeah, people were. <laughs> a real mixed mind about it. And the idea was is that look, we need to find a way using our ability to craft algorithms and process data and say, look, we need to be able to look at and I'm talking about entry-level jobs, I'm talking about, you know, people people you wrote the book for that are, you know, career changers, um, is to say, look, must be a way to be able to look at somebody's past performance data in terms of not just how much they sold, but the types of deals they sold, the types of companies they sold to, um, yeah. again, size of deals, so on, and normalize that data across industries and come up with, I called it a sales credit score equivalent that I like says, it. look, and I'm not trying to reduce people to a number, but the fact is, people, you're already reduced to a number whether you think you are or not, is that somebody could take with them and say, look, and this was motivated in part by a lot of conversations that people had about look, I want to move from, to your point, I want to move from real estate into selling software. I want to move to a SaaS company. And the first question and people post about this ad nauseum on LinkedIn is, is I can't even get in the door because the first question is, well, you don't have SaaS experience or the first question is, do you have SaaS experience? And I'm like, well, gosh, we're just qualifying all these people that may have capabilities to do well in a job just based on the superficial thing, which is, do they have prior experience in that industry, as, which is similar to like what school they went to, right? So it must be a way to gather this data that people have accumulated during their career and normalize it across industry to have a way of assessing someone less subjectively.
0: It's, it's spot on. I I can't explain enough when when somebody says, well, they don't have SaaS experience. Okay, great. Can they sell? Well, you know, they don't don't sell software, so I'm not sure that they'd be a good fit. What I've come to realize, and it fits in with your sales uh, credit rating, is sales is all about a process. It's at its core, sales reps can change industries, companies, and jobs if they follow a process, the best sales reps in the world can be dropped in any organization, in any industry. You go to them as the manager and say, here's our sales process, run it and run it effectively and run it repeatedly. You don't need to know if you're selling or met a guy who sold the Tomahawk missiles to the government. He could probably yeah. sell cars. If he can figure out that sales process, he can figure out the next sales process. I like to think the same. So whenever somebody comes at an uh, entry-level sales rep and says, you don't have experience, it's not necessarily true. It's, it's Do they have experience with the product? And this is another issue that I see in sales is people come up to me and they say, well, before I start doing really well is I have to learn the product. I was at Oracle. There's thousands of products. I was not a product person. We had specialists mm-hmm. to help me. I ran the process and brought in the technical specialist when we got to the product. You know, it's mm-hmm. you don't need to bec- become a, a certified product expert to sell. You need to prospect, set up meetings, have conversations, communicate, sign contracts, and move on. That's that's the core process in sales. Um I was gonna say, Andy, just one last thing on performance is aside from experience, I've interviewed people who come in and say, "Yeah, two hundred percent of quota. And that's misleading. It's so misleading. Um, it's you know the person who said that to me, the most recent one I can remember, I broke it down and they had they had two deals that year. One was five percent of their quota, one was one hundred and ninety five percent. The 195% was the biggest deal in company history. Their senior vice president helped them run it from start to finish. And Mm -hmm. it was already in the works when they joined the company. So, if you take out this bluebird, as everybody calls it, they get 5%. Now, my HR is saying 200%. And I'm saying, no, it's 5%.
1: Right. So, at that point, it's more about the interviewer as opposed to the candidate, right? Is, Is Yeah what was your advice be to that candidate that you just interviewed in terms of how he or she should prevent, present themselves differently?
0: Right. Great question. So when you're presenting yourselves yourself to an interviewer, you want to talk about the sales process, how you found deals, how you found opportunities, how you generate demand, how you prospect, how you open a million doors. And in that case you would rather you would much rather talk about the 5% of your quota that that deal had you found that on your own that would be a much more productive way to spend your time in an interview because a sales manager is the best sales managers in the world there's a lot of sales managers out there some poor some some good some great the best sales managers want somebody who can follow the sales process and go run it if if you can prove that in an interview through experience then you're going to fare a lot better than the person who comes in and says 400% I'm hired, right? You you want to show process if you have no experience, this is where the challenge is and I get into this a lot more in the book the challenge is if you're out of school and you've never done this before or if you're coming over from finance like I was and you've never done this before, you need to talk about times in your career where you've prospected, you've talked to people on the phone, you've reached out, Mm -hmm. LinkedIn, you've sent outbound emails, you've followed up, you've responded with next steps, you've set meetings, you're able to manage your calendar and you've got people to do things that you want them to do. Maybe you haven't closed a million dollar deal, but you've closed people. You've asked for something and got it back in return, what you want. So you have Mm -hmm. to kind of find those what I call sales-related activities in the book. Things that are related to sales that you can talk about in terms of an actual sales process.
1: And so what's your advice? I mean, I agree. I mean, I think that that you're much more, much better off as a candidate talking about, yeah, things that sort of reflect your own personal process, let's say, uh, and the way that you're getting things accomplished. But oftentimes, you know, candidates don't really have a lot of control over the course of of the conversation. So what's your advice for people in terms of trying to get the talk track onto, <laughs> onto themselves uh, in that instance to be able to share relevant information? So
0: the, the big thing, I, and that's a great point, the big thing about a sales job application process is credentials aside, regardless of what we were just talking about, experience aside, performance aside, You're being judged whether you like to think it or you agree with it or not. You're being judged on how you act during the whole process. And a big part, the biggest part of that is how you run two meetings, the phone interview and the in-person interview. In sales, we call the phone interview a discovery call and the in-person interview is the sales meeting. If you can run the phone interview Properly, like a discovery call, you're halfway home. If you can run the in-person interview as if it were a sales meeting, you're golden. You've done what I'd say 90% of sales reps do not do. I've interviewed thousands of people and some of the best candidates will come into my office, sit down and say, so how's it going? And I just, I sit back and I watch them. They just pursued me for a month, two months, three months, trying to get this interview. This is their big chance. And they just sit there. This would be the same as if I were a sales rep and I got the meeting with the CFO of Bank of America. And I showed up, Mm -hmm. walked into his or her office and sat down and said, so how's it going? How's the quarter? That's not what you do. You prep you have everything ready to go, you walk in and to your point, how do you how do you talk about yourself? How do you control the interview? When you walk into a in person interview or you're having a discovery call, a phone interview, you need to set the tone. You set the agenda up front just as you would in a sales meeting. I would say the majority of candidates don't do that. They're too intimidated, especially those who don't know
1: that you're supposed to do that or that it's okay. So give an example for our listeners of how you would set that agenda? Of, let's say on a, a phone. Sc- at, at, at the phone interview is somewhat problematic because oftentimes those are delegated to lower people to do screening interviews. That uh, yeah, I know. I've talked to people that are sort of thrown off by the fact that yeah, you know, it's sometimes even HR does those screeners.
0: Right. So let's let's throw the screeners aside for now and pretend you have a your in person interview. Right. Like you show up. Well,
1: no, let let's, let's keep the phone interview if, if again, because you have to regardless of who's conducting it, you want to get by that. So what's your best advice for Things you should say ask on those screening interviews?
0: So when you're on a phone screen, when you're on a phone screen, you need to treat it like a discovery call with a potential customer. Um, and the biggest thing on phone interviews for me personally is how you start and how you finish. The greeting is absolutely huge. If you're fresh out of college, or if you're a BDR, or even if you're a rep who hasn't phone interviewed in a while, and that phone screener calls you, and you answer with, hello? Forget it. Like, that is just, that is, I have never talked on the phone before red flag. Especially if it's a sales interview, you need to pretend you're on the phone 24-7, even if you're not. Um, I always give my clients the example, call Wendy's call 1-800-WENDY'S and listen to how they pick up the phone, right? They'll be like Wendy's and then call the Ritz-Carlton. Good afternoon. Thank you for calling the Ritz-Carlton. This is Vanessa. How may I help you? If you can change your greeting on the phone screen, you're one step ahead of the game. Then it turns into small talk. Right after the greeting becomes small talk, right? How's the weather? How's, How's the sports game last night? Whatever it is. You need to take the reins and turn transition that small talk into an agenda. That agenda can be two sentences. And it's really challenging if you've never done it before, because oftentimes you think small talk is good. I've had people small talk me for 30 minutes, then hang up. They think it's a great interview. We talked about the Red Sox. But what the screeners are looking for, what the hiring managers are looking for, is somebody to say during the small talk. So anyways, I thought I'd take a couple minutes today, talk a little bit about myself, my background, and then we can turn it your way and talk a little bit more about the role. Does that sound okay? That's it, something of that nature, right? I'm kind of on the spot here, but something to transition the call from greeting and small talk into, this is by the way, I wanna tell you who I am and why I'm calling. It's the same you would do on a discovery call. I think that's akin to framing well, framing a conversation.
1: Yeah. Well, I mean, I think a question that I that I have, because and grant, I haven't interviewed for a sales job at my own <laughs> company for a long time. I Haven't interviewed for a sales job, but I've interviewed for you know consulting clients. I think it's very similar, you know, trying to get hired as a consultant. Is to your point, is I recommend to people that they be armed with that first question. Yeah, you're going to do a little bit of small talk, but that transition—I understand—desire to set an agenda, and you can sort of do that. But I certainly wouldn't lead with myself. Yeah, I—I I, I have a resume in front of me. i am um don't need somebody to—at least my preference—I don't need somebody to summarize that. I want them to show that they've done a little homework, they've done a little preparation, have some insights into. The company or whatever, and yeah, throw a question out first.
0: You like the question out first? Yeah, I mean, if you if you're if you're going in cold and you've never spoken to this person and you're not sure if they have your resume, then you might want to introduce yourself. But if you if you've submitted it and you think they understand your background and you kind of chatted through email, yeah, I think I think I could see that, but. um Regardless of if it's a question about the company or a, a current event or just a basic introduction, it's it's on the candidate to take the reins. If if you leave it in the sales manager's hands or the HR screener's hands, I've been in interviews where they say, Define the word integrity. Ten minutes later, you're talking about which animal you would be, and you're like, What are we talking about here?
1: Right? Like there are those types of interviews. To,
0: <laughs> sure.
1: Well, but if they're determined to do that type of interview, you're probably going to end up answering some of those questions anyway. But I, I agree. I, mean, I think that that if you want to control, at least my belief is, if you want, like, it's much like a sales interaction. To your point precisely, this is the way you should be considering it. If you're going, if you're in sales, especially again, let's talk about the job change people. So there's have some sales familiarity is. Yeah, you need to set the agenda, but you also the way you direct the conversations by having your questions prepared.
0: Questions, a hundred percent. A big so after the introduction, the majority of the phone call is going to be the Q and A, is what I call it. Questions and answers, and it's not one sided. You can ask your own.
1: Yeah, I mean, if I were a, as a hiring manager, actually, I'm I'm less likely to be. Proactively asking questions as much as sitting back and waiting for them to ask. Yeah, you know, I'm gonna judge people on the quality of questions that they ask because in sales, for me personally, this is the most important thing they can do is as the sellers, I wanna find out if the person is, I said, prepared and has some ability to form, you know, insight and ask an insightful question about the party they're talking to.
0: Right. And, and Andy, so what you're describing is the same concept as a discovery call. If you're going to call a prospect, you're not going to just talk to the prospect about the weather. You're going to have insightful questions about their business challenges, their issues, their previous experiences, what they do in terms of procuring software or, or whatever it is they're selling. And when you're on the discovery call or the phone interview, Yeah, I think a very powerful way to run a phone interview or to run the questions in a phone interview is to ask questions like, um, how many sales reps do you have in your organization? What's the average life cycle of a deal? What's the quota? How many deals a year do you expect? What's the uh, you know typical demos in a in a month that you expect? Is it two, three, four, ten? Trying to figure out that path of okay, what am I walking into here? What's your sales process? What's the what's the metrics behind um, what I'll be accountable to? I think that's that's a very when I, when I have somebody who's asking questions like that, I understand immediately that they know that they're going to be responsible for a number and that they're going to have to be out there selling. I would agree with that.
1: Yeah. Well, I mean, but but again, if if you're and I've I've had bad experiences with this. So yeah, it's (laughs) with people changing jobs who who were productive at one organization and and came to a new one that you know and I hired them and they just yeah, suddenly it's like they forgot how to make calls and so on. You get those. But yeah, I'm I sort of assuming again, we've done some checks and the person seems like they have basic capabilities. Yeah, I'm really focused as I, I, I would, what I would have do and what I would sort of have people think about is that, you know, when you're getting on the call for, say, a screening interview, and it could even be for a uh, in-person interview, is, you know, somebody says, well, you know, tell us about yourself. You know, I would, I would ask the question, well, is there something in particular you saw on my resume that you'd like me to go into more detail about? You know, at, at all costs, try to avoid giving a, a lifetime summary again about yourself, and because surprisingly, you may find that these people aren't prepared for the interview. And I think sometimes it's a good strategy as a as a seller if you're interviewing for a job is to push back a little bit. It's it's a good it's a good idea because. Um
0: a lot of sales managers may not be as prepared as you think for the interview, especially if you're entry-level sales and there's 50 sales reps in that organization, they may have interviews all day and they may be pulling your Mm -hmm. PDF out of their inbox 10 minutes before they call you. They might not even know where you're from or where you went to school. And it's not it's not a sign of disrespect, it's just sales managers have other priorities, forecast, pipeline, opportunities, and revenue. So, yeah.
1: yeah. Well, and by the same token, I think that if, again, if you're interviewing for a sales job and you sort of get that first question, you could say, okay, again, if you're a more experienced rep, but even let's say if it's an entry-level job, is, is it's okay to say, when they say, well, tell something about yourself, say, well, if you don't mind if I might, do you mind if I ask you a question first? And then throw your question out there. Get engaged in the conversation it's, quickly. I, li-
0: I like it. It's. Um. I'm thinking of how I would handle that. So I like to be very detailed uh, when I'm interviewing. I'm, I'm a sales rep now, but I used to be a manager, and I would have very specific questions. Um, I like to read someone's resume, and I like to be very direct and say, "Hey, I noticed you listed three years of Presidents Club, um, and you've been there four years. What happened in year number four? Walk me through that." And people will be mm-hmm. if they're not ready. So you're you're saying that an experienced or regardless of the experience, come in and just start with, "Hey, you know, do you have questions for me?" That's a very different type of interview where well, I, would, you're I would
1: be ready. I would. Always try to start with my question as the candidate is to get my question on the table first to start the conversation because then one thing will lead to another because you know as much as as candidates are interviewing for jobs you know the, <laughs> they're also interviewing the company right and I think that too often when you're interviewing for a job is you're always only think in the context of you're trying to get, get something from the company, are you trying to get that job? As opposed to taking the perspective is, well, I have something of value to give them. And part of what I'm here for is to understand whether this is the right place for me to be able to show the value that I have and help increase the value of this entity. So as a seller, if you're just going in, as a, if you're only going in as a supplicant thinking that you're gonna get something then I think yeah you know, you're not doing yourself a, a service as you need to think about, hey, is this the place that I want to spend time in that I think is the right place to benefit from the value I can bring to the organization
0: It's you know it's killer when you can do that effectively. Um, I talk about it in, in the book and talk about being desirable, not desperate, being positive. Too many, too many candidates will come in and think that interviewing for a job is a negative experience because they have to talk poorly about the situation they're leaving or they have to be yes, 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 Mr. interviewer, Mrs. interviewer. But you're right. Having that confidence of I'm a top seller. I know how this stuff works. What's in it for me? Tell me a little bit about your organization. That's also a very effective,
1: effective uh, technique. Yeah, well, think about it as a, a business conversation, not not uh, an interview. I mean, a discovery call is basically, as you said, basically an interview. Yeah, uh, you know, a discovery call is a mutual discovery call. I mean, too many sellers go in thinking it's just, hey, it's an interrogation. I'm going to learn things, but as wise people have said, you know, you judge people more on their questions they ask than the things that they say. Is your buyers are evaluating you and discovering about you based on that conversation as much as you are about them. So take the same approach when you're a candidate. And it's what it does when you do that is
0: you're demonstrating to the sales manager or the person on the other line, just going back to the greeting, having the phone presence and the phone etiquette, asking. Proper questions, like you said, having the confidence to turn it around and say, "Do you have questions for me?" That's showing that you understand how to run a, a phone screen yourself. You run discovery calls. You, it's it's more more a sales type call at that point versus, um, please hire me. Right here is my resume. What do you think? Like it's it's a lot more desirable. Yeah. Well, desperate.
1: Yeah. I mean, yeah, I think if you're a salesperson and you really think, okay, well, I haven't really been doing as well as, as I had helped, I mean, look, take a look at, at how you're interacting with your prospects. Are you basically pleading with them to buy from you? Or are you having a, a good business conversation that uncovers needs and insights and, and things that enable you to take the conversation forward? It's the same behavior. Is is think about it that way. I like to ask you: uh, What are your
0: thoughts on, like, when you're hiring or when a sales manager is hiring? I often see this where they sales managers are more inclined to take the talent that's running out the door, and less inclined to go pursue that rep. Who's number one at that other company? That they're never going to
1: pull away. Um, what are your thoughts on that? Like, you mean they're more likely to go to extra lengths to retain people rather than go get new talent?
0: Well, uh, I'm just saying, like, sales. This is more less sales candidate talk. I'm kind of changing it up. Sure. But from a sales management perspective, shouldn't you be pursuing those people at other organizations that don't want to leave? That you kind of have to right like sure would you rather get lebron james over to your team or are you just going to take the first free agent who calls you you know what i mean
1: yeah i think that that far too infrequently uh managers or let's say far too frequently managers don't have the mindset that yeah you know, a certain percentage of their time has to be devoted to building up a network, and some people call it a bench, um, but a network of people that are in your orbit or you're in their orbit that at some point there may be an opportunity to help each other, whether it's you providing a place for them to exercise their talents or vice versa. But you know, it takes a deliberate effort. And we, it's never been easier because of tools like LinkedIn to be able to do that yeah. you know, to pay attention to what's going on on LinkedIn who's posting what about what uh talking to people that may know somebody that's connected that you know to somebody that could be an ideal candidate perhaps for what you're doing is you have to spend some time and invest some time in building your network your network is an asset that's that's portable that sticks with you throughout your career and again it's not just a matter of what people do for you but it's how can you help the people in the network that at some point may be to your benefit. So, yeah, I think as sales managers and, you know, some, about a probably a third of your time should be spent on this idea of capacity building. Right? What am I doing deliberately to build the capacity of my organization to achieve the goals that we want? And I don't talk about that in the context of sales training and and development, which is another part of their time. But just, yeah, finding the right people is a big portion of that. It's it's
0: huge, and you nailed it with network. Um, When you're looking for a new sales job, I don't care if you're 20 years old or 60 years old, when you're looking for a new sales job, which you will be, it's one of the uh, careers where people change quite a bit. You rely on your network heavily yes heavily and and what's the first thing that happens when a sales manager has a rep quit they go right to their team and they go right to the manager or the hr team and they go to their network and they say oh, i have an opening you see it all the time on linkedin people mm-hmm. say i'm hiring right they're putting it out there to their network and saying i have an opening So, if you have a Mm -hmm. strong network and you build a strong network over the years, you're going to have a a much easier time getting in front of the hiring managers. It's just, it's a very...
1: uh, Yeah. Well, it's... (laughs) I know some people might hear that and say, well, that sounds bad because I'm not connected. How do I get equal access to those opportunities? Sure, there's an element of that, but you're talking about sort of mid-career changes is... It is part of that dynamic, you know. If, if somebody knows somebody, you know, companies have referral bonuses, right? Oftentimes, you know, structured programs to pay people for referring candidates that become employees. Um, but I think that it's you know it's beyond just beyond just getting hired. When you think about your network as a seller, and this is why a tool like LinkedIn is so important if you use it appropriately, is mm-hmm. that it's potential jobs, it's potential business opportunities for you personally as potential sales opportunities i mean this is your network should be the engine that drives a good portion of that throughout your career and it should only become enhanced as you grow but you have to pay attention to it you have to be deliberate about it and sometimes you know place that you're selling to becomes a job opportunity or vice versa i mean it's it's um, you just never know
0: You have to be deliberate, especially if if you're new to sales or if you're a college student looking for your first job. Let's say you go to UMass in Boston and you're graduating and you want to be a sales rep. Well, like you said, LinkedIn, you can look up. University of Massachusetts sales representatives. You can search by alma mater. You can search by industry. You can contact your alumni career network and say, I'm looking at sales. Like, there's a lot you can do in building out your network deliberately. Um, to go back mm-hmm. to the book for a second, this is another thing that I've done is I've written this book as a way to build my network. and It's been obviously to help people, but it, it's it been building my network much more deliberately. I've had people reach out to me to write articles for them, do podcasts. Mm-hmm. Um, I've spoken at a number of universities in the US, presented to sale, professional sales um, organizations at different universities. And through mm-hmm. that, I'm meeting um, younger people trying to graduate college and get into the sales industry. So it's it's uh, it's something you have to be deliberate about. I did not have to do that. I, I do not have to go and speak at universities and talk about getting into sales. But for me, from a networking perspective, it builds your, your network. You never know who's going to read a, how to get a sales job and then go on to become a key account executive somewhere or vice president of sales of some company You know, having started their career reading my book. Right. Absolutely.
1: Yeah, no it's it's yeah, we sort of it's tangential to the primary topic we were talking about, but it's yeah, if you're not entry level but you're looking for a job in sales, yeah, your network's important. Right? Your network is extremely important. And yeah, I look at my own career and all the jobs that I had uh and I also look at yeah, you know, a large number of the consulting projects that that I took on. Or have taken on, yeah. Very few reached out to me cold. Right. My <laughs> I mean, my first job ever was in sales. I had to interview through you know career placement career placement center on campus. Uh, so I was cold. But yeah, next job was I had, I wanted to go to work at Apple. And this was back in the early days of Apple. Yeah, uh, you know, I could see the PC industry was exploding. It's like 1981. I called a friend that I knew at Apple and said, "You know, hey, any chance you get me an interview?" So I still had to interview a job and you know find a job and interview and so on. But yeah, once you if you're deliberate, people you know, you stay in touch. You you provide value to people throughout their careers. Um, lots of good will come back to you.
0: And it's it's funny. Uh, it's the same with selling, Andy. Like, if you wanted to sell in 1981, if you wanted to sell a product to Apple, sure, you could call 1-800-APPLE and see if they call you back. But if you know someone there, it's a lot easier to start a sales cycle. Or if you have somebody willing to make an introduction, a champion, a referral, it's easier to sell to Apple if you have a network connected to them,
1: right? Well, so it's, yeah. It's been facilitated today by tools like LinkedIn. It hasn't made any easier, but it's it's uh, part of it's easier, let's say, in terms of identifying who you should speak with. But same truth if you're looking for a job. I mean, if if there was a study came out recently by the Rain Group said that uh, when sellers contact buyers, that 82% of buyers look at the seller's LinkedIn profile before they talk to them. So, and you talk about this in the book and social media, but yeah, the same thing's true if you're applying for a job, they are looking throughout your social media uh, footprints, and especially on LinkedIn, and if you're changing jobs, and this gets to a whole other subject about how to find a sales job. but you know one of the most important ways, I believe these days that people can prepare themselves for their future in sales is to be active on LinkedIn, Post content, post your thoughts. what's your point of view? What's your perspective? Share things, comment on things, be engaged. Um, I know if I'm looking at someone for an opening, I start there. You know, if they are salesperson on LinkedIn and they've got you know 200 followers and they only post or have never posted in the last year or something, it's like this person doesn't seem very interesting to me.
0: Yeah, it's it's
1: you know one of my favorite
0: quotes I have in the book is uh, uh old manager of mine used to say, John you've already interviewed. So if there was an interview going on in the office, he'd say, I have an interview today. And then say, oh, that's interesting. And he'd say, yeah, you've already interviewed them. They've already interviewed. And he always said that. And it hit me one day and I was like, I know what he means. He's already researched the person. He's already looked at their resume, looked at their LinkedIn. If he knows somebody who knows them, he's contacted them. It's the same thing if I were going to Talk to a prospect. If somebody contacted me to sell me something, I would look at their website, look at their LinkedIn, see if I knew anyone who knew them. Because it's a, a lot of it when yep. it boils down to sales and hiring somebody is all about trust. And if you can do some research on someone, you have a leg up before that interview.
1: Yeah. It's trust. It's actually, I, I think it's. Um, Diligent. Risk mitigation, yeah. more, than, more than anything else, is you know, how do you reduce yeah. the risk? And yeah, you know, that's tough, right? I mean, certainly we rely on, on personal references and, and the others. That's why the network effect is so strong because, to your point, we trust the opinion of these other people and it gives us some sense of self confidence that, that the decision could be a good one. But, you know, it's also plenty of research that shows that uh, yeah interviews are one of the least effective things you can do to make a hiring decision so <laughs> it's because it's all about the emotion as opposed to the logic right so yeah it's it's, it's a tough job but it's uh, it's good that you've written a book to help people sort of navigate that process um, so if people want to learn more about the book or contact you what's the best way for them to do that? Best way to do it is
0: com, or you can look me up on LinkedIn John P Davis. On LinkedIn I put the P purposely John Patrick Davis because there is I think 30,000 John Davis. Yeah, I get stopped at airports, you know. It's a very common name, but uh John P Davis on LinkedIn or you can look at howtogetasailsjob.com. I kept it very direct. Very to the point. That's what the book's about. It's about very to the point, direct. How to get a sales job, start to finish. What do you wear? What do you bring to the interview? Who do you talk to? What yep. do you say? It's what do you not say?
1: Take a look. Yeah, the Kindles. Uh, the Kindles on Amazon. Everything's on Amazon. Yeah, I would just summarize by saying details matter, and you lay out a lot of suggestions for people to pay attention to the details because. Quite honestly, yeah, it's hard to differentiate between candidates oftentimes. And sometimes there's somebody that really stands out. But in the main, small things make the difference. So make them work for you. That's it. All right. Thanks, John. Thanks, Andy. Great talking to you. Okay, friends, that's it for this episode. First of all, I want to thank you for taking the time to listen. As always, so grateful for your support of our show. And I want to thank my guest, John P. Davis, for sharing his insights with us today. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe to this podcast, Sales Enablement with Andy Paul on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. And if you could also leave us a rating or a review and let us know how we're doing, we'd certainly appreciate that. You can do all that on your phone in less than a minute as soon as this episode is over. So thank you for your help, and thank you so much for investing your time with me today. Until next time, I'm your host, Andy Paul. Good selling, everyone.